Hi, and welcome to Tales from the Comic Shop, the show that takes you behind the counter. I'm your host, Joe, and joining me this week are Eddie DeAngelini and Roger Prowse. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Yeah, good, man. So uh, why don't you guys tell them a little bit about your qualifications, and we'll get into it. We are qualified. I am Eddie DeAngelini. I am the co-owner and co-manager of Heidi Ho Comics in Santa Monica, California, and I am also the creator, writer, and artist of the Comic Strip Collectors. And I am good at pretending that I'm qualified. I am the co-owner of the Nerd Store in West Valley City and the co-runner of the Watsat Comic-Con in, also in West Valley City in Utah. Well, why don't you guys tell us about your weeks? What's going on? Yeah, Roger, what's going on with the uh, stolen art? No, I, I, yeah, I had pretty good. So I had a, I had a, I had a piece of artwork that I gotten. Um, I went into a uh, auction to benefit a children's hospital uh, last November, and, and I won some pretty cool pieces. And one of the pieces was a head sketch by Mark Bagley of a, a Carnage head sketch. And at the show I was at, um, Clayton Crane happened to be there, so I went to and I, I saw him walking out. This was well after the show closed. But I was I was volunteering for the show, so I was able to go up to him and just ask him if he'd be interested in coloring it for me. And to my surprise, he loved the piece and he actually liked the idea of coloring it for me. So um, I sent that away for him to get colors done, um, and it came back absolutely incredible, as you would expect from Clayton Crane's colors and, and Bagley's um, Bagley's art. Um, and I had it at the store while I was doing a bunch of projects. I went to at the end of the day, kind of got home and realized I didn't have it with me. Um, I, so I went through at the end of the day, couldn't find it, got home, realized, you know, I thought I really thought I knew where I set it down. And this was several months ago, long story short, no one had a clue where it went. We looked around the store. Um, we had no idea where it went. I really thought that it was stolen during the change course of the day. And it was a fantastic piece. Well, fast forward to our little COVID shutdown time and we decided to do a full remodel and it turns out at some point somebody had cleaned up and stuck it in a corner somewhere behind a bunch of other project that, uh, products that Charles found it while he was cleaning and removing everything around. So I found out that I recovered my piece. So I will have it next time I get to get into the shop. So that was that was a good news for me this week. And how long was it actually missing? About three months. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had pretty well written it off. I was like, man, that was a... You know, that's uh, that there was that and another piece that combined between the two of them was about 500 bucks. And I was just like, well, there, there went, went, you know, the whole time you're thinking, if I ever find the guy that took those. Oh, I was checking classified sites to see if somebody was trying to sell it. I've been watching eBay for it. Like I've been because this one was we'd actually sent it to CGC. So it had like the certification label and it's told the artists and stuff on it. And I was like, okay, some layman, if they buy it, they're going to probably write the artist since they know who it is because of the label. So I'm searching them on (laughs) Facebook classified and all in Craigslist and all that stuff. And yeah, I had my eyes out. But yeah, it turns out that was all waste of time. But I'm happy that was a waste of time. That's funny because that happens here when stuff gets stolen here in Los Angeles because of so many shops mm-hmm. so near nearby that somebody will steal something from one shop and literally go to another one to try to sell it. And because all the owners here know each other, it's like right away it gets caught. Or some people are so stupid that they will steal something from one shop and literally come back to that same shop to try to sell yeah. it. Yeah, like I the person's that, not gonna rec- like they're not going to recognize that it's theirs. So I got you beat on that one, Eddie. I had it. So um, it, at my pet store, which for those that don't know, I also run a pet store. We very first opened, and I won't get too in the weeds with it, but we had this gecko that's a $700 gecko. 
this super rare, super cool. They get huge, but it was this tiny thing shows up missing. And I was just starting. That was the most expensive thing in the whole damn store. And so I lost my mind about it, right? Freaked out. It really hurt us when we were first getting going. Um, I knew it was stolen. I just didn't know where it went. Flash forward three years later, one of my regular customers comes in, tells me he, he bought this gecko that happened to be the same species, happened to have grown at the same rate as that would have over three years. He bought it off of somebody in a parking lot at Albertsons that was selling animals, <laughs> this super rare animal. And he tried to sell it back to us. Um, and I basically kind of played the game and told him, oh, man, I don't really have room because I could tell he was desperate to get rid of it. I said, but I'd be happy to adopt it for you because I knew he wasn't into anything. And he gave it to me for adoption. And the best part is because he grew it up for me that what was a you know six $700 gecko, I ended up selling for $1,300. So it turned out okay <laughs> in the end. Nice. <laughs> uh well my week how's my week going um it's been pretty busy because for the past since friday of last week uh businesses uh, some non-essential businesses mine included are now open for curbside pickup here in california so uh we are now doing as much curbside business as possible we're expecting a pretty big day tomorrow because uh, the new magic set uh, Ikoria comes out tomorrow and I know we're going to have a line of people. And of course we got six foot markers down the sidewalk, of course, but we're going to have a line of people hopefully coming first thing in the morning to uh, buy all this stuff. So I'm expecting, even though we're closed and can't let anybody in, we are, we're expecting to do some really good business tomorrow. So I'm happy for that. And uh, turns out that um, tomorrow is, May 15th. And originally that was the date that the governor set for uh, businesses to be able to reopen. And a little while ago, they said, yeah, that's not going to happen. We don't know when it is. Now they're saying that this is going to extend through July. So the soonest um, businesses like mine will be able to actually even have customers walk in the door won't be until August. So um it, it, I mentioned today to somebody, this almost feels like it's kind of like a vacation for me, you know, <laughs> the way things are going, you know, <laughs> where uh, the shop is quiet. We're just like doing business at the curb, you know, at the front door. We got the front door we have open and we have like a little podium counter right in the doorway that we can just um, – you know, service people with almost like a, like a mall kiosk. We're like, we are literally a giant mall kiosk at this point. So um, it, it's almost in a way it's kind of enjoyable right now. So that's where we're at. Adapt or die, man. Exactly. Yeah. You, you know, you do what you can and, and you make the best of it, you know, and given that a lot of this stuff is closed down and distributors are, are somewhat closed down as well, our, our expenses are low. So, you know, we're, we're doing okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're all right, Eddie. Um, Roger, I'm glad you found your uh, carnage. That's always yeah, so is I. To keep, keep tabs on your carnage. Maybe I'll show um, that off on one of the next ones. When I pick it up, I'll use that as my cool stuff. So everyone can oh, see absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the, no, the disappearing that. That carnage. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Using that symbiote camouflage on you. That's right. That's right. It worked. <laughs> All right. Well, um, in other exciting news in our personal little world, we are joining a new network. Roger, why don't you talk to people about what that means and um, where they can start finding us and our cohorts, our new cohorts? Yeah. So I, 
as far as what it means, I think we're still kind of hashing out ideas behind the scenes on exactly what it means. But, you know, short term, hopefully it means more listenership for everybody on the, on, on there. Um, the network is called the Geek Nerd Network. Uh, it's a whole lot of different various types of nerdy podcasts, um, all different kind of gamuts. Um, you know, my brother happens to be the person who runs my shop. He's on one of them called the Nerd Dome podcast. Um, very not safe for work, very not family friendly a uh, bunch of people sitting around and, and just total unstructured chaos, but very entertaining. Um, there's the fandom podcast a buddy of mine runs. That's a really family friendly kind of celebration of fandom. Uh, a couple comic book podcasts like the Fortress, Fortress of Comic Dude, a video game podcast called Push My Button, uh, Buttons Games, uh, Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye, which is a movie podcast. A lot of other cool stuff, and they're working on other cool ones. Um, yeah, one there the was the freaky nerd one I saw too. I think that's about nerd that sex. Actually, is that what that is? Yeah, I've actually never heard that one. So that one's actually one I'm gonna have to check out because I've not. That's that's the only one on there I've never listened to. So and, uh, uh, I'll have to a, see what that push is. Push your buttons. Yeah, that's uh, we'll that's just a throw video all of them out there so we don't leave yep. anyone out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So and then, I think that's and then, all. Um, yeah, and then one of the one of the ideas, um, you know, that for for our listeners that I think they'd be interested in, and that I'm hoping to do, is when you're able to have like a lineup of shows and increase your listenership that way, you're able to start to bring on some guests. And so I'm hoping that we can get, um, you know, through the networks that we have um, and the connections we have, get in touch with some great creators and distributors and publishers and and, and all these different people that are inside the industry um, that we can have on and get some interviews with them about what it's like on their part of the industry as well as what projects they have going and, you know, maybe take some listener questions and those types of things for them as well. So hopefully we'll be able to start getting some of that going uh, now that we're part of this as well. Awesome. Yeah. So um, make sure you guys go and check out their Facebook page, GNN. Uh, Nerd Network on Facebook. Yep. There you go. Make sure you check it out. Also, Roger put in some behind-the-scenes work this week and was nice enough to set up another Facebook page for us. We had a Facebook group up, but now we have a Facebook page. And uh, why don't you uh, tell them why they should follow that and give it a like? Uh, yeah, I mean, so the Facebook page at Comic Shop Tales. Hopefully, we're going to get it tied in with our Instagram. We'll figure out all this tech stuff eventually, or we won't. I'm not making promises. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> um, you know, just uh, keep up. It helps us keep up with date with them. It helps them keep up to date with us. I think we'll do a lot of our, you know, when we get like Q&A stuff. That's a good way for them to give us feedback. Tell us what they like, what they don't like, how we can improve all that kind of stuff. Well, now that we have all that fun stuff out of the way, um, I hope we gave you some guys some stuff to look forward to and some stuff to check out. And um, yeah, like I said, hop on there, drop a like, go in the group, leave some comments. Also, we're still up on Twitter. We are also on Instagram. And um, yeah, please reach out and give us feedback. Talk to us. What do you want to hear about? What do you want to know about? We are always looking for questions to answer as well. I mean, these guys have a wealth of knowledge that extends to all segments of the uh, comic industry. I mean, so please Every drop us a line. One. Every single one. Drop us a line. And, and yeah, let's let's get these guys working harder for hey, us. Uh, you know, and also just to bring it up really quick, we are both retailers, uh, Roger and I, but uh, uh, in case I had, it's not really talked about that much on the show, but I'm also a creator and I, I write and draw my own comic strip. I self-publish. If someone has questions about 
what it takes to make their own comic, uh, publish their own comic, either through uh, a known publisher or themselves, and what it takes to get it into shops. Those are questions, too, you can ask us. Absolutely. I want to know about that. Also, uh, Eddie has said in his intro a few times he was on the television to talk about comics a couple times and a movie. Oh, I had a, I had a customer who came by and bought something curbside said, yeah, I've been, I've been home watching a lot of TV and I've been seeing you on a lot of documentaries. (laughs) (laughs) Did you give him an autograph? I, I should have. Yeah. I, I, whether he wanted it or not, you needed to give him one. (laughs) The marker, (laughs) but, uh, he said that he watched the episode of, uh, Robert Kirkman's secret history of comic books that I was on. And then there has been a couple of uh, documentaries. Well, the names escape me right now. I, I'm sorry, but uh, as soon as Roger makes me an admin, I'll put links to him. I was uh, just going to say, you are. I put it up there. Are, okay. you, you, you already were, in fact. So I don't remember, I okay. this right. I don't remember the names of them, but there was a couple documentaries about uh, comic book shops. And uh, basically, they're, they're part in pop culture. And I've been in uh, two different ones, uh, two different documentaries about that. So uh, apparently he's been seeing me all over his TV. And as soon as uh, I got a moment here, I'll jump on. I'll put links to some of those uh, things. I don't know if a lot of them are full episodes or full documentaries available online, but I can definitely put uh, clips and stuff like that. Because really the only clips that matter on those are the ones that I'm in. So I'll find those. Absolutely. But so... Yeah, take advantage of this resource and get at us, talk to us, and we will put your questions on the show and uh, ask these guys all sorts of fun stuff. Um, Apparently, there's some news on the DC distribution front. Roger, you want to... Hold on, I need to prepare for DC news. I'm going to pour a glass of wine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's not there's not a bunch of it. Um, it's uh, it's it's relatively small. It's kind of a small follow up right now. But um, we were notified as retailers today that there was the official um, kind of release said that there was a transportation issue from their printer to Diamond. Um, so the books that were scheduled for sale on May 19th on sale dates did not arrive to Diamond's warehouse, um, and that they will be delayed to May 26. Um, the reception was not good amongst um, retailers because there was, and, and, I, and I never saw this personally, so I can't attest to it personally, but several retailers said that they had seen um, where they had been told that these books were already at Diamond's Warehouse when all of this went down, when they were given the option to wait or to go through these new distributors. Um, and if they were already there, how did they suddenly get delayed last minute? Um, these also, these books arrived early this month. Uh, they were actually already distributed through the other retailers, um, at this point. So they've already landed and gone out and on store, um, floors through those other retailers. And again, the problem with making a distributor, the retailer is the retailers that run these distributions, uh, warehouses already have these books for sale on their websites, um, and have had them for sale on their websites. Um, so they're able to get that early drop traffic where typically if you have a, a delay of so like this type, you should delay the release date. Um, however, they're already out. So there's no going to be no delay of release date, which allows everybody to play on the same playing field. So it really just sets up an uneven playing field, which is exactly what retailers had um, 
you know, it's a, it's a, it's a real example of what we had talked about as being one of the many problems that could come from this is this exact scenario. And it's literally already come in, um, the very first shipment that they've had with diamond since then. Weren't we griping about this Roger in the very first episode? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, mm-hmm. and, and, and trust me, retailers have been quick to point that out to DC to that, Hey, this is exactly what we talked about. This is exactly what we warned about. And we were concerned about, we were, you know, promised wasn't going to happen. And, and now it's happening. And, you know, at this point it's been far for the, or par for the, for the course with DC, but they've been pretty silent when it comes to their critiques. And these books can be found uh, on sale at Midtown already for, oh, I don't know how much of a discount. Yeah, I'm not, dude, I don't know. And I don't even know if they're discounting these ones. I mean, why would you? You own the market, right? So I don't know. Um, but uh, whether it's discounted or not, the very fact that they have them on sale already puts them at an unfair advantage um, yeah. over everybody else. Exactly. Uh, I personally am getting tired of having to explain to my regulars why we don't have these books yet when they see other people do. Yeah. And or now, they can get them online. Right. And now why we're not going to have them when we are told we're supposed to be getting them. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think that overall the, um, the push from retailers has not been positive, but I would also say at this point, DC does genuinely, this is my own interjection. This is my own personal opinion. Um, but I don't feel like DC cares. Um, I don't feel like, I feel like this entirety of this thing, the way they've communicated with us through this process and the way it's come across to us, the, the, the avoid, the types of comments they avoid and then the types of comments and the way that they've responded to the ones they have responded to in private without getting into, you know, private conversations. Um, my impression and the impression of several retailers I've talked to is that DC has decided that the direct market retailer is not important and that we need them more than they need us. And at this stage, a lot of retailers are taking actions to no longer support DC the way they did. And I think their sales numbers will show which what side is right, who needs who more. And my, my assumption is they're going to find that they need us more than they think they do. It feels as though for them on, on their side with DC, they're pretty much dictating that this is the future and the way things are going to be going. And we're going to force it in that direction, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's better for them. Um, and, and, and frankly, it's not better for them. They're just, they're seeing it short term. Um, and I think it's really telling that when they did this and they tried to promote this as we're being innovators, we're going, you know, doing what needs to be done to keep this up afloat. Not only did no other publisher come out and do the same thing that they did, but every other publisher, with the exception of Marvel, who's pretty much stayed on the fence and hasn't made a statement one way or the other. But every small publisher I can think of, even up to Image, who's a larger publisher, every one of them has come out and said, not only are we you know, not doing this, but we will never do this. Um, they have made it very clear that they think it's a bad call, a bad idea, and it goes against their their thoughts and business practices. Uh, yeah, so, agree. So the thing that I keep hearing over and over again, going through comment comments on message boards that I think people really don't understand is they keep saying, Oh, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. It's going to break the monopoly. It's going to break the monopoly, you know, cause every, I mean, let's be honest. Retailers have scapegoated diamond in, even well, if they diamond does it. have its problems, like they, and they, have, they, no have a, they have, but they have a very negative reputation among the fan base. It's yeah, just sure. an indisputable fact. And, Which, uh, if I can, sorry, if I can interrupt, I, I don't like that comment that, 
Diamond has a very bad reputation among the fan base. Yeah, I, the I fan base is not they're not the ones that do business with it's Diamond. Not, that's not their customer. We are. Yeah, but yeah. but but I, I understand, but they it's they still have that horrible reputation among the common fan and, because that's who gets blamed from, for our damaged books that we buy on Wednesday. Right. That's who gets but, blamed for our lost book, our missing book. There's not a book enough books on the wall, you know, whatever. Sure. And so they have you know, they're that's why I'm said whether it's deserved or not, they get scapegoated frequently. Yeah. And yeah. so what I'm constantly seeing over and over again is this is a good thing for comics. This is a good thing for the industry. Obviously, Eddie, you have a very passionate, immediate response to that. Why is it a bad thing? Like, why are they wrong? Well, the whole idea of what we said before, you don't break up a monopoly by putting another monopoly in place. Now, if you had a completely unbiased business that has no uh, no ties financially to retailing or publishing or any other aspect of the industry, and they just came on the scene and said, we are solely a distributor. We are a distributing company in the comic industry. We have no favoritism or no ties to publishers, to retailers, nothing. We're just a distributor. And they came in with deep pockets enough to challenge Diamond. Then I would have no problem with that. Let's go. Let's let's put up a competitor and see how that's going to improve. I'd be excited. I'd be excited. Yeah, I would, I would be absolutely excited. But if you tell me that uh, my neighboring competitor down the street is going to be the one that DC is going to sell, uh, uh, send all their books to, to distribute to me, well, I'm not going to like that because they're going to keep all the good stuff for themselves. And then they're going to give me whatever's left over and say, here's your books. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, you know, if they had, if they had reached out to say Simon and Schuster and Simon and Schuster said, okay, we're going to distribute this instead of who they went through. I don't think anyone would have been disappointed. In fact, I think people would have been overwhelmingly supportive and very, very um, happy about it. My, and this is, this is completely conjecture on my part. Uh, I have no reason to think this actually happened. My thought is the either that the reason that somebody like Simon and Schuster or one of these larger book um, distributors did not do that, and that I think the fans don't understand, is nobody wants to distribute periodicals. Distributing periodicals is a lot of work. It is a whole lot of logistical issues. It is a nightmare headache of a job. It is a thankless nightmare headache of a job for very very low returns. And, yeah. and so these other companies, the reason that Diamond doesn't have another competitor has less to do with some, you know, horrible monopoly that they've managed to put in place and that like, like it's presented. It mostly has the fact to do that. Nobody else wants to do the job. And when they did Agreed. have other people doing the job, no one did it as well as they did. So while they do have problems, it's, it's problems that I think are as much or anything inherent in the business that they do. As much as, as much as it is, and possibly even more than it is the company doing it. What distributor is going to want to jump into an industry where uh, they are distributing uh, products that are two ninety nine, three ninety nine, four ninety nine, as opposed to you know uh, higher end books that retail for so much more that they make more money off of basically. And and where and yeah, well, not only that, but and books that if you look at uh, periodical trades. You know, those types of books come in with lower damage rates naturally, significantly lower. Um, if, or sorry, if you're talking about like trades and books then instead of periodicals, periodicals come with higher trades. So um, so trades are going to come up with lower damages. They're going to have 
less people picky about the condition and the quality of the product as far as those types of things are concerned. So, and they're easier to ship. So not only is it a higher ticket for every time you put a book in a box, you're paying someone to do that. That takes money off of your margins. So if you, if you're handling a $20 book versus handling five, $4 books, you make more money on that $20 book. It is not an equivalent process. And then when you take into account that those four, you know, those four or $5 books can get damaged more easily and your customer cares about the condition on them uh, more severely, you're talking about a much more difficult and much less appealing job. Exactly. So to get an outside person who has no ties to be a new distributor is, like you said, it's going to be almost near impossible because nobody wants to do it. So it makes sense that DC would go to two people who already have um, somewhat of a distribution model already in place by the amount of mail order that they do. Rather than trying to set something up from scratch, it makes sense. But like I said, you're dealing with my competitor down the street, or in this place, in this place, uh, in this case, we're talking about down the street, as in on the internet. Which may as well be down the street. I mean, it's practically on yeah, the doorstep. Exactly, exactly. So now you're dealing with somebody who's down the street, who is now getting sent all their books, and then they're just funneling to me whatever uh, you know, basically their scraps. I think for anyone who really wants to understand why that's a problem and how that, how that a, how that affects them as, as a reader and as a fan in the long term, and B why that's a real problem to us. I really think they should go back and listen to that first episode because we would have to do all, I mean, it was, it was a long episode on that exclusively because it is very complex and it is very wide, broad reaching. Um, So I, I would really recommend if they haven't listened to that first episode that we did, to, to go give that a listen to get a real better understanding of why those things are, are as big of a problem as they are. Um, this is just kind of validation. I think that what we were talking about is, is real. You guys both absolutely called this. I mean, you guys both get a victory dance on this one because it happened on the first order, the first order. I mean, it wasn't just yeah. us. This was every retailer, every retailer. Yeah, ev- I mean, ev- everybody said this would happen and they did it on the first order. That's right. Makes it sound like star Wars, but now, no one laughed also, at my first order joke. It took me if a minute. Can, it took me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you a chuckle, but it took you a second. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if we can bring this up as well, uh, the few retailers that did go through the two new distributors uh, basically had reported that uh, their shipping costs were so outrageous with their the orders that they them. were getting, yeah. the majority of them, that it was pretty much negating any profit that they were going to be making off of these books in the first place. I actually heard a, a firsthand account from retailers who said that when they added their shipping costs into the books, that the books actually came out higher than cover price. Um, again, we talk about why there's damages on these periodicals, but if you ship them, quote unquote, the right way, you can't buy them for the price you're trying to buy them at. It's just part of mm-hmm. the game when you're dealing with these types of things. And frankly, if you look at the numbers of books, how many thousands of individual books Diamond's processing in a week, I think their damages are relatively small when you look at it on a percentage. Yes, it can affect you. And yes, it can be a pain in the butt. But overall, um, it's when you look at what's actually involved in that chain, it's not as bad as you would expect. Right. I mean, I get some damaged books every time I open up my shipment. Um, but overall, I mean, if we're talking about half a dozen books get damaged, well, that's six or seven books out of how many hundreds and hundreds that I've just unpacked. Yeah. Probably one, one and a half percent. If that, yeah. Is it really that bad? 
No. Now it it sucks if I'm getting like a one in fifty or one in one hundred yeah, variant, and that comes damaged because my chances of getting that replaced are going to be pretty low. But how often does that really really happen? Less than Not it used that. to. They've changed the way that yeah. they ship the exp- the variants and the expensive books, and they've and, the, and Diamond really is consistently improving, and they come up with ways with to have whole new problems too. They make whole new mistakes as well. Like let's not say that it always works, but they are consistently improving. And I will say, had Diamond had this kind of feedback from retailers over something like this that DC has had, Diamond would be actively responding to us and listening to our concerns and trying to help us, whether they were doing well with it or not. And I don't think anybody can make the argument right now that DC is doing the same. Yeah. So just to go back really quick. So like if I do get a lot of times, if you get a really exclusive variant, like if it's a uh, one in 100 or like a really nice uh, one per store variant, a lot of times it'll come to you from Diamond bagged and boarded. And sometimes uh, more than not, it comes packaged separately uh, from everything else. So like you'll open up your box and your variant, your one in 100 variant will be both bagged and boarded and um, packed separately from everything else in, like, say, a Gemini mailer or something. Which oh, is relatively wow. new. So they, a, they just started doing that. The old system. Yeah, that was just, what, about a year and a half or two years ago, wasn't it, Eddie? It, relatively recently, but even before that, they were already coming bagged and boarded and packed in a way to where they weren't just shoved in a pile of other books. Yeah. Uh, there was a little more care given. Well, thanks, guys. I mean... For me, you just answered a lot of questions. You rehashed a little bit of old information. I mean, is there anything else you guys want to say on this subject? I'll go listen to the first along. episode. I mean, really, there's a lot we could say, but it's mostly covered there. Yeah, I say go I listen to that com- first episode. I think it comes down to we'll continue to order and stock DC titles, but we're not very excited about them as we once were. And that's unfortunate because I am a primarily a DC reader. I mean... I read a little bit of Marvel. I read a lot of image, but I'm primarily a DC reader. I'm most invested in that universe. And, but the thing is, is like a big, huge chunk of comics for me. And I said this in the last pod in the first podcast is I like to go to the store. I like to socialize with the other comic readers that I know there. You know, I like to talk to the owner and the people behind the counter about the books that they read. And like the fact is, I mean, the act of reading a comic isn't just like, it's not just an act of reading literature exclusively. It's part of a community. It's being part of a community. And because a lot of us were ostracized or took, had problems, given problems younger, it, it can be kind of clandestine, but it also can be just really wonderful and a great way to meet people that you, you know, wouldn't normally meet, but that you have this thing in common with. And so um, the fact that this is looking like it's going to hurt the big, the majority of what I read is very depressing to me. But I think um, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with that, Joe, because I think one of the things and I was talking to another retailer about this just today um, is it feels like most of these decisions from D.C. are coming from guys in suits sitting in offices and they, they aren't in the stores. They're not the guys that are seeing the community that's built and they're not seeing the importance of that community to what people ultimately read and enjoy and what they become fans of and how that reaches out to new people and all those types of things. They're looking at straight dollars and cents right now. 
um, in a store. So they're looking and saying, well, the book market is doing more than direct market. So why do we even care about the direct market? But they don't understand how much we are fueling that market and how much of that comes from there. Um, because that's who's making the decisions right now. And uh, oh, yeah. that's really how it feels. So I no, haven't seen any. Go ahead. Sorry, Joe. No, and I want to say, like, I mean, also the DC creative side of it, I think there is showing some understanding. I mean, Jim Lee has done a fabulous job of raising money for Bink with his art. I mean, last I checked, he's over $500,000 and he still has sure. 25 pieces to go. That's, I mean, you know, that, and that, that's def- fantastic. I mean, the, yeah, absolutely. And that shows a big commitment on his part to the retailers. Sure. I mean, that, well, and it makes you know, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation about who people think are actually making the calls, and I'm not going to speculate on that because we don't know what person it is. Um, but I do think it's pretty apparent that the calls that are being made are are harming retailers. And while I do appreciate all of the different um, artists that have that have chipped in to help me, and Jim Lee probably is the biggest among them, frankly, um, if not number one, he's right up there. Um, you have to also put some perspective on the fact that Bink raised, you know, over a million dollars in the last couple months. Um, most stores that are getting payouts are getting two to three thousand bucks. There's just too many people at need, and so while it's really nice for them to get those two or three thousand dollars, and Bink is making a difference, and I'm raising money for Bink myself. There's a reason for that. You have to understand that two three thousand dollars now, even though it's helpful, does not compare to the potential losses of some of these things that the sanctions that are being made long term. So. I think you can no, be I, I understand critical that. And, and congratulatory at the same time. I think those things I, can exist there. Oh, absolutely. I just so, didn't want to, I didn't want it to, this to come across as we, cause we've done two of these now where I just didn't want people to think we hate DC. Sure. <laughs> we, you sure. Know, I want there to, there is some positive. Hey, dude, I got, I've got my, my kid's middle name is Batman legitimately on his <laughs> birth certificate. His middle name is Batman. That is a real thing. So yeah. I'm not going to stand here and say that I've never been a fan of a DC title. Right. <laughs> so a little bit of really quick insight on my part, if I, if I may, please, uh, I, I absolutely agree with you 100% Roger regarding who's calling the shots at the, at the big two. And everyone had, I mean, every comic book fan has said, Oh my God, uh, Disney bought Marvel. It's going to go downhill because now you're going to, you know, they're going to get rid of comics or they're just going to basically, uh, you know, Disneyfy everything. And then, um, was it Warner and then now AT&T that bought yeah. DC? Am I remembering yeah. that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. And everyone, you know, everyone is always uh, in living in fear that now that these big corporations own the big two, they're going to be, you know, calling the shots and pulling the strings. And for the most part, I think that you're right, that we are starting to see that happen because for the longest time, I always thought, well, oh, that's a bunch of BS because the truth is these big companies, they don't give, a crap at all about the monthly books and the publishing side because they bought those companies for um, the big money, the movie yeah, rights, the character rights, yeah. the, for the merchandising, because that's where the money is at. Let the people who are printing, the uh, writing and printing and drawing the comics, just let them do whatever they want. We don't care. But now I think it's becoming an issue where we're seeing um, these bigger corporations now taking a step towards what the print side is doing. And, it's a big change from decades before because uh, a prime example of the exact opposite of all this was the 70s and the 80s. The people running the, the big two uh, back then, which pretty much it was really that was 
the only game in town, the big two. Yeah. The people that were running the two um, were fans. They, they were people that grew up reading and loving comics in the 50s and the 60s, and now they rose up in the ranks uh, to be running these companies. So they were very much doing and making decisions that were um, for the benefit of the industry and uh, down the line to the retailer. I mean, you had That's when you like saw the say, birth of comic shops, isn't that? Isn't yeah, that yeah, yeah, because, I mean, throwing out a couple of names, you can go on and on, but like people like Roy Thomas – uh, Jim Shooter. These were people that rose up in the 70s and 80s to start running um, these companies. And they grew up on comics. They loved comics. So they were doing what was best for comics. Especially the Marvel. That, yeah. Now the people that are running, um, yeah, because I mean, you can say not so good things about Carmine Infantino, who was running <laughs> DC right. at the time in the 70s. Right. And kind of the crappy stuff he did to Jack Kirby, but that's a story for another time. We should cover that. Um, that's great material though. We should cover that. As it, well. it is. It is. I mean, that darn book I'm reading that I recommended last week is just, it'll break your heart. What, what uh, both Marvel and DC did to Jack Kirby. But anyway, um, but now you're seeing uh, the big two being run by people who probably have no connection whatsoever to comics. Uh, other than they see these superhero movies that are making billions and billions of dollars and they want, they want in on that. Yep. And that's all you're seeing. Yeah. Yep. Well, for most corporations, I mean, the bottom line is what they're there for. I mean, and I'm not pro or con corporation. I mean, what a corporation is there to do is to make the most possible money that they can make. That's what Correct. they exist to do, which is why exactly. I don't but want to you politicize can have corporations this, that are run by people who love what they're making or selling or merchandising. Well, I I think but people, I'm saying, but because they've been absorbed by these larger corporations, you know, obviously our our little segment of the population is not what their focus is. Well, so, I Roger, think, here's I think my question not, for you. Yeah. yeah. Is this potentially the result of growth that these people are paying more attention to DC and Marvel within their corporation, like as part of these companies? No. So, so first off, for what you were just saying, one thing that I would push back on a little bit would be that while I agree with that, their their job is to make money. What a lot of people that aren't in business don't understand is that their job isn't necessarily to make money. Their job is to make short-term profits. And a lot of times short-term profits actively work against long-term benefit. Um, when you have publicly traded companies, they are incentivized for short-term, not for long-term. And so I think Agreed. that's one very, very important distinction because those are not the same things. Um, I think, so again, this is all conjecture. This is a lot of retailers talking about why would they do something this crazy? Everyone's got their ideas. The things that make the most sense to me is that you have suits sitting in a room and they're saying, okay, the direct market is this much of what we do. As we know, as retailers, the book market, when it comes to comic IP, is growing faster than any other part of this industry. And it's not close. Um, and that's well, that's been really behind the, the big giant boost in YA. It's been a behind a lot of, I don't know if you guys have seen, but a lot of comic shops are really having a lot more in common with book market about how they set, what they stock, how they merchandise. I mean, it's definitely headed that direction for a reason. And it's just kind of becoming more general public friendly. And so I think what you're seeing is you're seeing them say, hey, we have the book market. We still believe in digital, um, even though the numbers really aren't increasing there. But we think that between digital and the book market, and then they're looking and saying, um, you know, the periodical trades, retail periodicals, periodicals are already low dollars and retail periodicals is just too 
um, unstable because right now their book market, which is their biggest market, is suffering because of their smallest market, which is the periodicals. Well, digital smaller, but that one's kind of off on the side. Um, and so we're, I think that they're looking at this right now and saying, hey, those online multi-conglomerate guys, they can handle periodicals just to keep them to keep tur- churning so that periodicals can can provide for the book market. And this is 100% them just saying, we our job is to provide for the book market because it's the larger slice of the pie. And to what I was saying before, the book market, though, does not create what we discussed as far as the community. It doesn't broaden people's horizons. It really doesn't bring new people in at the same level. And so I think that's a that's a short term benefit. And I think it's going to be a long term losses. All right. No, that well that said. is actually a fascinating, <laughs> fascinating concept that I could probably talk about with you all night long, but I'm not going to subject our listeners to that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I want to make one more comment because what I was saying earlier was, and I think uh, Roger can agree with this, is this uh, myth that if you love what you do, you're not good at business. If you're a businessman and you're good at business, then you are only about making money and not about loving what you do, which seems to be what people think about people who are art in, in the arts and people who are in business. And that they're so separate. And that's not necessarily the case. Like I said, back in the 70s and 80s, when you had people that loved comics who were running the industry and you had basically, you know, a boom in the industry back in the late 70s and 80s. And um, as far as the people running things now, you're seeing, unfortunately, people who did not grow up with the industry and don't understand it. Yeah, I, I hear you that. That makes a lot of sense to maybe why these decisions are coming down the pike the way they are. I mean, that really, to me as an outsider, seems like the almost only explanation I can come up with. I think the interesting result will be to see how this ultimately affects the industry. I mean, if you start to see, if you start to see, my prediction is you're going to see periodicals really take a hit with DC. And I think they'll look fine for it for the first little while. But I think eventually that catches up with you in the book market because I think the one creates and feeds the other. And I think I think if you look back in six or eight months, DC will be happy with their decision. I think you look back in three or four years and pretty much every publisher is going to point to this as a major like, don't let's not fall into that trap. Are there any parallels to when Marvel tried to self-distribute? Some. I don't think a lot. I mean, Eddie, you probably know more about that. That was a little before my time. Well, uh, again, I wasn't I didn't own a shop when that was happening. So I only know from reading about it and from talking to people who were around at that time. And the consensus was that Marvel just could not handle it. Uh, They were making a lot of mistakes. They were messing up orders, uh, just getting things wrong. And the problem came down to uh, they were stretching themselves too thin. They were trying to make books and distribute them and they did not have enough manpower and or the brain power to handle both. Uh, They finally had to decide we can't do this. We're a comic book publisher. We make comic books. We don't distribute them. So we're letting this go and we're sticking to what we can do well is what it came down to. Yeah. So in in that case, I would say there's, there's little to, if any parallel, because I don't think, the problem with handing it to these distributors is that they're not able to distribute. I think it's a completely different issue. I still yeah. had to hold back from making a joke about how then they let slot split up MJ and Peter Parker. <laughs> <laughs> but, in the, but in the case when with Marvel, when they tried to distribute, uh, I don't think 
there wasn't the conflict of interest as there is with this current situation. Yeah, yeah I think it's it, it's both distribution. Like it, it's similar in the fact that they're both making potential mistakes when it comes to distribution, but I think they're completely different mistakes. Yeah. Well, at least maybe they're learning then. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> we'll see. That's a big if. All right. Well, thank you guys. That was a fascinating conversation. Let's move along and uh, let's do some uh, quarantine reads for folks out there who are stuck at home and need something to take a look at and take their mind off of uh, the fact they can't leave their house. I'll go first. Um, because of a conversation we had after the podcast last week, my book is the DKR hardback from 1985. There you uh, go. <laughs> yeah. Darknet Returns. I mean, it's a seminal classic. I'm hoping that many of our readers have already read this. If you have not, this is my Batman story. I love this Batman story so much. I get that the Frank Miller's art isn't for everybody, but this was him at the top of his powers. And like, I love the way he illustrates Batman in this. Batman is a tank in this. And I've always thought Batman should be a tank. He should be built like Brock Lesnar, not like Apollo Ono. <laughs> you know, he's, he's not a... Uh, he, no speed he's, he's not, Batman. Yeah, I think exactly. That's, I think that's now the title of our um, of our of our episode here, and it's actually kind of multifaceted. No speed skating Batman. <laughs> yeah. How about Batman should be built like Brock Lesnar? <laughs> so... That brings up an interesting story because uh, I think it was just yesterday um, there was a story that was picked up about uh, Robert Patterson um, in quarantine refusing to work out and get yeah, ready I for uh, playing. I heard that. Yeah. That made me quite and, upset and, because he's he's much more Apollo Ono than Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. Now, I, <laughs> I, can, I can see both sides. He's kind of saying, I don't want to be part of that whole – like beauty trap thing that everybody has to have this uh, unobtainable beauty standard that is portrayed to the public. I get that. But, but at the Batman. same time, it's yeah, it's bad. If you're going to break somebody's Batman, skull against your fist, yeah. you have to be able to apply so much PSI per punch. Exactly. Dude, not Batman, if you have really good special effects, you don't. <laughs> but, but the whole point is Batman, Batman is a well-trained uh, fighter. He is yes. an athlete and a warrior, and yeah, he, and should I, look, I, I, he should look. He should look the part. I don't think Patton's ever going to be a fat, schlubby Homer Simpson Batman. I don't no, think that's he's not going to be a fat, schlubby. He's going to be uh, a, a little white, Lean. thin emo. Batman. Yeah, like like more Adam <laughs> West. That is that is yeah. That is yeah. not threatening in any way. Batman is a threatening figure. That's yes. his whole shtick. So what did you guys? A, what did you guys think of Batfleck then? I like Batflick as far as I like aesthetically. Yeah, I didn't mind him at all. I don't know if he was really right for the part, but I think he looked the part. He had that kind of uh, grizzled older Bruce Wayne look that was just kind of, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. over it. Um, I yeah, don't yeah. want to deal with any people. I'm Batman. I'm going to kick your ass. And that's like, it. Say what you want about Justice League, and it fails on a lot of levels for me, but Affleck and Momoa, when he comes into the bar and has the conversation with Aquaman for the first time, he was probably as good of a Bruce Wayne in that scene as there's been on yeah, film. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, I, personally, I thought he did a great job. I think that he is. 
I think his individual get, performance gets overshadowed by a lot of people's dislike of his movies. But I think his individual performance was as good of a Batman as we've had, period. Honestly, I think it was right up there. And that's one thing that's always puzzled me, too, because he comes from a Kevin Smith, from the Kevin Smith view of Ski Universe, which is kind of our segments, like, always embraced those films. And for people to not like Affleck as an actor has always kind of puzzled me among comic fans when so many are just grew up with Kevin Smith and have such affinity for those films. Uh, you know what I think it is? And this is just my theory. Um, I think that later on in his career, uh, he kind of fell into a lot of addictions and kind of, I, I think it came across on the screen that to a certain extent, he was just kind of walking through certain roles, kind of just sleeping through it. Sure. And not that he's he a bad actor. Yeah, had a few not of those. That, yeah, not that he's a bad actor. The guy is a very extremely good actor, but I think that he his his mental his mental uh, energies I think were elsewhere with the problems that he was facing in his in his personal life. That I think maybe just that kind of uh, walking through roles came across on the film uh, on the screen, and I think that just turned some people off. Well, and they may we not all have our dealies. Yeah, he, well, they may not also, even know. But not he everyone has a cow. Not everyone has an Argo. Well, That's no. Well, he also st- he also did a lot of pretty boy roles and a lot of romantic comedy that kind of stuff roles. And I mean, I think when you look back at the Heath Ledger casting, everybody put him down because he had been in the pretty boy role. If you look at the, yeah. uh, you know, if you look at um, the current casting, they're putting him down because he'd had a pretty boy role. And so I think it just comes down to people kind of forget that actors have range. And they yeah. they kind of say, well, if he can play a pretty boy, then he's definitely not Batman. And I don't think that's necessarily true for you know whatever reason. All right. Well, um, anyways, DKR, Dark Knight Returns is what I'm reading. And if you haven't read it, I strongly suggest going out and getting it. It's Miller's seminal work, in my opinion, even more so than Daredevil. That is like the piece of art that he should be most remembered for. All right, Eddie, what have you got for us this week? So I got two things really quickly. I'm still reading the book that I recommended last week, which is Lee and Kirby Stuff Said, which is a book all about uh, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee and their careers over the decades and all the things that uh, they did and went through. And right now I'm at the part uh, in the 80s where Jack Kirby has already um, left comics completely to work in animation and is being treated a million times better than he did when he was working for either uh, Marvel and DC. And um, now he's pretty much in the middle of a big legal battle to get his original artwork back from Marvel. So uh, I, you know, I know how that ended in real life, but now I'm reading it now with all the details of what happened on both sides. So that's pretty interesting. So uh, to give something new as well, uh, I will also say that uh, when the shop, my shop first closed and I had some downtime, I finally got around to reading Tom King's Vision, uh, which I've been meaning to read for a long time. Everyone has praised how great it is. Well, I finally got a chance to sit down and read through it. And my expe- expectations were pretty high. And at first, I wasn't getting into it because Tom King's writing is a bit of a slow burn, it's a bit of a slow build. But uh, about halfway through, I was pretty much hooked and I was really into it. And um, for anyone who has not read it, 
I would say that uh, both this and Miracle Man, uh, no offense to you and Batman, Joe, but I think this is probably his best thing that he's done so far. Yeah, uh, Mr. Miracle is, uh, to stick with the Jack Kirby theme, is one of the best books from 2018. I think it ended in 2019, but I think it ran through most of 2018. But I think regardless, you are right. I, I don't remember. But regardless, Mr. Miracle is just a great read, and I'm a huge Tom King fan forever just for that book. I mean, I really liked his Batman run. A lot of people have a lot of issues with it. I have less issues with it. We're not going to get into that here, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really like I really liked his Batman run. I love Mister Miracle, and I need to dive into that Vision book because I started it and it got pushed up, put on the back burner, and I never finished it. To close out the show, we're going to go to what we always do, and that is cool things. Um, I'm going to kick us off this week, and my cool thing is my issue of Batman number two. It is probably my favorite comic-related item that I own. It is very important to me. It's kind of the keystone of my collection at this point. I hope one day to be able to say that I own a first Joker Catwoman. But until then, this is the next best thing. Second Joker Catwoman. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So, yeah, I will put some pictures up on the website and you can check it out there. Okay, I got uh, something that I think is kind of cool. I finally got a book that I've been wanting for a really long time. It is a CGC 4.0 copy of uh, Vault of Horror number 35. And if you look it up, it's a classic Christmas cover with a guy about to axe his wife. And the reason why this particular book and that cover is important to me is that is the cover that I do an homage of for my third collector's book. So if you look at collector's annual number three, you'll see the cover of me at my laptop at my desk with Kristen behind me uh, about to ax me. And it was a homage to that cover. So I've been wanting that book for a long time and I finally, finally got one. Awesome, Eddie. That's great. Congratulations. Um, so... I'm going to sign us off. Um, you can, as always, listen to us on YouTube, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, Google, uh, Podcast-O-Matic. Um, hopefully soon we will be on a few other platforms. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and until next week, uh, thank you for listening and have a great week. Goodbye. Right, thanks a lot. Goodbye, all.